Let's get into the message this morning. We're in the book of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 8. Matthew chapter 8, and uh, we will begin reading in verse number 5. Matthew 8 and verse number 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. I'd like to preach to you this morning on the subject. It's actually a question. Who has the right to tell me what to do? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessings upon the message. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your goodness and for Your grace. We thank You for the Bible. We thank You, Lord, for all that You've done in our hearts and lives. Lord, for everyone that's listening, that's born again, Lord, You have saved us. You've washed us from our sins. You've given us a home in heaven. And Lord, we've got great cause to rejoice and to be glad in all that You've done for us. Now, Father, we realize that uh, we're limited today in what we can do, but God, we thank you that we've got the means to be able to get the Word of God to our people. And Father, perhaps maybe there'd be other people, Lord, through this World Wide Web, that someone would perhaps uh, listen to the message this morning, and it would be a, a huge help in their life. We pray now for your blessings. We pray for wisdom. We pray for your power. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it goes without saying that most of us don't like being told what to do. Uh, By observation, I'd have to say this. Has there ever been a generation that resented it more than today's generation? I think about being an employee today and how difficult it must be to hire young people and actually tell them what to do and then respectfully do it. I think about the military uh, someone told me recently, I think they posted it, I don't, I don't remember exactly where it came from, but people were complaining about how the government's telling us what to do during this coronavirus situation. And someone reminded them that back in the 60s, there were people fresh out of high school that the government was not only telling them what to do, but they were sending them over to Vietnam. Now, folks, we we have a lot of liberties and rights and privileges here in America. But you know what? There has never been a time, in my opinion, where Americans have resented being told what to do more than today. Now, I have to confess that I have kind of an issue in my life. I don't like women telling me what to do. <laughs> Now, let me give you a little bit of background. I had a mom, and I had three older sisters. Uh, 
perhaps maybe uh, all of my sisters are uh, listening to me right here and right now. My youngest sister was five years older than me, and then um, then there, the other was seven, and then the other nine, so they are all quite a bit older than me. Uh, Dad was, for the most part, gone on the road driving truck when I was real little, so I think you can kind of figure out for yourself. I grew up with women telling me what to do, and no matter how hard I try... God help my wife. You should pray for my wife because every now and then she has to ask me to do something for her. And uh, she never knows uh, if uh, if she can say it the right way. But it's just kind of one of those idiosyncrasies. It's one of my faults that I'm confessing to you here this morning. I don't like women telling me what to do. If you're a man that can uh, understand that, say amen wherever you're at. <laughs> yeah, someone said good preaching. You know, this Roman centurion, we'll get back to the Word of God here. This Roman centurion is seeking help from Jesus. And Jesus refers to his great faith. And I think we can see the connection that this Roman centurion, that he had a proper understanding and perspective of authority. He says, look, I'm under authority and I tell soldiers what to do and they do what I say. I have to do what, I have to tell them what my authority is telling me to tell them. So he had complete understanding of authority structure. And it was through that understanding that he was able to exercise what the Lord referred to as great faith. In fact, he said of this Gentile Roman centurion, Jesus said, I've not found this great a faith, not even in Israel, not among God's people have I seen anyone that had the kind of faith of this Roman centurion. He said, look, Jesus, I don't need you to come to my house. I know that you are the Lord and that you have the power and authority. All you have to do is speak the word, and it doesn't matter if you're 50 miles away or a 1,000 miles away. You are the Son of God, and you know where my servant is, and if you'll just speak the word, he'll be healed. This Roman centurion didn't need a bunch of fanfare, didn't need a bunch of attention. He just needed the Lord to do what he believed the Lord was capable of doing. And because of that, his connection to authority, Jesus said that he had great, great faith. You know, when I think about that, there's a connection between what I said a few minutes ago. Has there ever been a generation that didn't like authority or didn't like being told what to do more so than today's generation? There was kind of a, a little scripture verse that just kind of went off in my head when I thought about this this morning, and it's Luke chapter 18 and verse number 8. Here's a portion of that verse. Jesus said, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? You know, is it possible that maybe there's such a connection between faith and authority that when Jesus returns, he's not going to find any faith because there's going to be a whole generation that have no clue whatsoever about biblical authority. You know, we've got federal guidelines right now. We've got governor's orders. We've got quarantines. We've got lockdowns. We've got, I mean, you can't even buy, if you want to buy six gallons of milk, you can only buy one or two depending on what store you're at. There are so many restrictions that are being placed on us today that because of that, 
I think it's very important, very vital, that we remind ourselves about some Bible principles of authority. And so first of all here this morning, I want to talk to you about the types of authority. This will be no surprise to many of you. There are various types of authority. And the first one that I want to talk to you about is the authority structure in the family. Now, before we take a look at some of these Bible verses, I think it's important that we understand that when we go through adverse circumstances, those circumstances don't typically produce what's in our heart. If you're struggling right now because of this coronavirus lockdown, and I'll have to be honest with you, it's created some challenges for me. It 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 has caused me some struggles, but I think it's important that we understand that these circumstances don't create what's in our heart. They manifest what is in our heart. And that's why it's so important. You know, you may be a family that's watching us here this morning, and there may be some Bible truths that you've been taught, you've learned, and you know that they're right, and you know that they're true, but you just haven't gotten around or you haven't paid the price to incorporate these truths in your life. And you know what? When everything's going great, you can say, well, you know what? I'm getting by without incorporating that Bible truth. You know, many of you are raising children. And how many times as your pastor have I told you that you need to base your parenting on the authority that comes from God? This generation, parents don't approach their children as an authority. They approach their children as a manipulator, trying to get their children to do what they want them to do, either by by begging or bribing or threatening or whatever the case may be. And all they care about is that the child does what they want them to do so that they don't have to have any more hassle. Rather than instilling that character, that fear of God, and that integrity in that child to where they obey the first time every time, and they do it with a good attitude, a lot of parents today will not go through the trouble and the hassle because it ain't easy, folks. It is not easy instilling that kind of obedience and character in children. And you know what? When everything's going great, your home can be fine. And you may even kind of think in the back of your mind, it's like, you know, I I know the preacher means well, but we're okay. We don't really need all this. We can be like everybody else is. But then troubles and trials come. And you know what? Uh, There are times when... um, when you need your children to obey you because their life might be in danger if they don't obey you the very first time. And it's times like these that manifest the, um, I guess, the, the problems, the dysfunction that may be hidden under the surface. And so let's talk about the family structure of authority. I'll give you three verses real quick. And once again, these are just reminders. It says in Ephesians 6, verse number 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What could be more clear than that? The Bible says clearly, God has given a command. If you are a boy or a girl and you are in your parents' home and they are taking care of you, they are your boss. And according to the Word of God, they have every right 
to tell you what to do. Now, let me throw in a little additional truth there. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. But I also want those, those of you that are children that believe the Bible, you also understand that there are other authority figures out there other than just your parents. Uh, I've been around uh, close-knit families that they got this down pat. But some of those same children, they're not going to let their Sunday school teacher or anybody besides their parents tell them what to do. Listen, if you're a boy and a girl and that's the way that your behavior is, it's good that you're obeying your parents. But there's something wrong with your heart. You're missing a vital truth in that you're not understanding that your parents you're supposed to obey them because they have God-given authority over you. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other people that also, during a particular function, that they don't also have authority over you as well. All right, let's move on to the next verse, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, I don't know, I've probably seen maybe a dozen funny things that my wife shared with me from, uh, so, I guess, social media or wherever it comes from about husbands and wives, some humorous things that husbands and wives have discovered about one another during this uh, coronavirus quarantine. I don't have time to share any of, any of them with you, but I'm sure that all of you listeners have at least seen one or two. Some of them, I mean, are hilarious because there's just at least a little bit of truth to some of them. But, you know, the bottom line here is the Word of God, God's authority says, wives, you're supposed to submit to your husbands. I know that sounds sexist. I know that the feminists don't appreciate the man of God saying that. But you know what? It's true. It doesn't matter what we think. I don't care if the entire world disagrees with it. The Bible, God's Word, God our Creator, the supreme authority of the universe, is the one that said this is how the structure of the family ought to be. Children should obey their parents, and wives, you need to submit to your husbands. And then Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25 says, Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. As we've said many times before, love is an action. It is a commitment. It is a decision. It is not just a feeling and an emotion. It is something that we do. It's something that we demonstrate. Listen, men, I don't care how you feel. I don't care how your wife acts, whether she submits to you or not. Let God take care of her, and he will. But you take care of what God wants you to do, and that is to love your wife with a Christ-like, unselfish type of love. And be sure that you demonstrate it. And so if all of us would submit to God's authority and the family, then our lives would be much, much better. That brings me to the next type of authority that we find in the Bible. We find the authority of the church. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 13 and verse number 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. 
that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. There is an authority structure in the church, and according to the Bible, the Bible says that the pastor is the one who should be the one overseeing and in charge of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that the pastor is uh, some kind of dictator. It doesn't mean that he takes the place of God. Listen, I've been around some men of God who had a really bad case of what I call man of God-itis. I'm the man of God. you got to do what I say. You know, that is not a biblical perspective. If you're the authority, then just act like it. Don't feel like that you have to prove that to everyone. Uh, I can remember uh, years ago, um, uh, you know, playing sports with some men. And, you know, some men, when they play sports, uh, they're not playing because they're a man. They're playing to prove to everybody that they're a man. And, and trust me, those are not the type of people that you enjoy playing sports with. Uh, we don't have to prove anything. We just have to demonstrate that, hey, God has put me in charge, and it's a position of accountability and responsibility. It's a position of care. Doesn't mean that it's a position of total control. Now, how about this one? Here's another one that's uh, not very popular today. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12. Paul said, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. You know, I have to confess that with this message going out over the World Wide Web, I was tempted to just say, yeah, you know what, I don't have room for that verse. Let's just kind of leave it aside. And then the Holy Spirit said, son, if you start doing that, where does it stop? And so I thought, no, people need to know what the Word of God says as far as the authority structure within the church. But preacher... There's all kinds of women pastors all over the place, and some of them are good Bible teachers and good preachers, and they're good people. I, I don't argue that point. But I can say with all the authority of the Word of God that they are rebelling against God's authority because that verse of Scripture is crystal clear. You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, Chaldean, or anything to know that the Word of God teaches that women are not supposed to be an authority in the church and certainly not to usurp authority over the men. Now, in this same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter number 2, at the end of the chapter, it says in verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. So, folks, I um, I understand that some of the things that I've said here this morning are not popular, but I have the authority of the Word of God. It's not my authority. It's not my opinion. Listen, I, I'm I'm not a chauvinist. Uh, I'm not bigoted in that area. But I, I will say this: I believe that the Word of God is what we need to follow. And if we would just have a more of a submissive heart to follow the Word of God and trust that God knows what's best, oh, how much better our lives, our families, our churches would be. Now that brings me to the next form of government that I believe this truth is very relevant to a lot of the things that we're dealing with here today, and that is the government. Who, who's who's, uh, who's going to tell me what to do? Does the government 
have the right to tell me what to do. Let's see what the Word of God says. In Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. You know, if I could pause right there, it's it's really quite clear. If God ordained human government and and says they are an authority over your life, when we resist human government and then we suffer for it, you get a ticket, you get thrown in jail, you get problems in your life, whatever the case may be, it's really kind of a moot point to start crying out to God and say, God, please rescue me from these big bad government people. And and how many Christians do that? They break the law, and then they think that God's on their side, but the Scripture says quite plainly that they're doing God's bidding. And so God's going to be on the side of authority. You know, how many times do people think that they're the victim and that the authority, even if the authority didn't handle something textbook or picture perfect, they think that God's going to come to their rescue because they were unfair. But the truth of the matter is, is that God is a God of authority. You can expect that in almost, not every case, but in almost every case, God is going to side with the authority that he ordained. And you know, it goes on to say here in verse number three, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. I wonder, have you ever thought about this? I understand that uh, most of our politicians are are, are politicians. <laughs> they're, they're probably corrupt. They're probably insincere, very imperfect men. I'm sure that uh, that if we knew um, if we knew the truth about our president, which who knows if we know it or not because of the media, uh, even if we knew everything about him, we would see a very faulty man. We'd see a sinner because, after all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have very imperfect people that are in government, that are in authority over us. And yet the Bible says here that God put them in a place for our good. Can, can you, have you ever thought for just a moment that maybe Maybe all of this quarantine and social distancing. Can you imagine if we stand before God one day and we start complaining about all of the rights and privileges that our government took away from us? Only for God to say, hey, let me show you what would have happened if they hadn't have done that. And then, and you know, then it show a map and show all of the, the red states in population and see how many thousands and maybe even millions of people that would have died if the government hadn't have done something to protect us. You say, preacher, are you supporting the government? Look, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea if they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing or somewhere in between. I have no idea. Only time will tell. 
Uh, we could roll the clock forward and then look back and maybe have some perfect understanding. Who knows? But all we have to go on is what they're telling us. And you know what? There is a possibility that maybe they're just doing what God ordained them to do in protecting their people. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Imperfect government, absolutely. We'll say more about that here in just a moment. Now let's continue with another Bible verse. And uh, uh, this verse, this passage of Scripture gets a little bit more pointed. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 13, it says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. How about that? For God's sake, we're supposed to submit to men, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Watch this. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. How about that? That's some pretty plain language that I think is very relevant to what we're going through today. Once again, you ought to listen to our Salt and Light broadcast last Thursday. We dealt with some of these conspiracy theories and you know, it, it seems like God's people have more of a tendency to mistrust other sources of authority. And uh, for just cause, I understand that. But the bottom line is we need to make sure that we keep our perspective of the whole picture. There are a lot of God's people that will be narrow-minded and they will take they will take a bible truth or a principle or maybe something that they learned about our constitution and the history of our country and they will run with that because it serves their purpose and their agenda and totally ignore all of the other supporting facts around it that's why it's so vital that we look past imperfect human government and we see the god is that behind that's behind that I know that Satan has dominion over the, 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 the nations of this world, but only within the framework of God's sovereignty. And by the way, if you are a born-again believer, you have been born into the kingdom of God. We may live in the United States of America but we are, our primary citizenship is not of this nation. Our citizenship primarily is in heaven. And we need to make sure that we keep sight of that. Now, the next uh, point that I'd like to bring out, number two, is I want to talk to you briefly, and I mean briefly, about bad authority. All of us have been under bad authority before. Authority figures are imperfect people. But I want to remind you that when both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter pinned what they, what we just read, Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter number 2, do you realize that the king, the emperor, at that time was a man named Nero? I don't have time to go into the history of Nero, but let me just summarize it real quickly. He was not a great leader, and he wasn't even a great guy. 
I mean, you would not want to be married to this man. You would not want to be this man's child. And this was a man that used his authority for his own selfish purposes. There would be times where he is loving the Christians whenever they served his purpose. But whenever something else or some other group who hated Christians served his purpose, then, I mean, he would be persecuting and martyring and and butchering God's people if it served his purpose. Now, uh, whether you like Donald Trump or uh, whether you uh, like Barack Obama, we haven't had anything even in the same category as Nero. I don't even think Hillary Clinton would have reached that category. But you know what? At that time, these men, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said we need to honor and submit to human government. Now, Brother Taylor brought us a great Sunday school lesson on Jesus and the Pharisees. And there were several things that he said that are totally consistent with the message here this morning. But I want to, I want to give you an additional example on Jesus and the Pharisees. Look with me at Matthew 23 and verse number 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. What does he mean by that? He means they are in the position of authority. He says, All therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Hey, how about that, folks? We've got Jesus teaching us that there are potentially people in authority, and this is a spiritual authority that he's talking about, that you've got to obey what they say, even though they may be hypocrites, they may be telling you to do something that they're not willing to do themselves, they may be bad authority, but the way that Jesus handled them is he didn't dismiss their authority. He said, look, you need to do what they say because they sit in Moses' seat. Once again, God is a God of authority, and he will back up imperfect authority because he is, once again, a God of authority. Now let me say this. Is disobedience to authority ever appropriate? The answer to that is yes. Yes, absolutely. There are times when disobeying someone in authority is very appropriate. In Exodus chapter number 1, we read about Pharaoh, the king, the authority, who made a commandment to the Hebrews that when the midwives were to help a Hebrew woman give birth to a male child, that that Hebrew midwife was supposed to take that newborn baby boy from mama and take that baby boy out and throw him in the river. Now, the Hebrew midwives did not obey the powers that be. They did not obey the king and the government. They made up an excuse. To be quite honest with you, they lied to Pharaoh. They, they, they concocted a story. Oh, the Hebrew midwives, they're, they're lively. And before we even get to their home, they've already had their baby. And they made that up. And we read in that passage of scripture that God actually blessed those Hebrew midwives. So yes, there are 
rare occasions in which it is appropriate to disobey authority. In fact, it would have been very uh, inappropriate for those Hebrew midwives to obey the Lord. I think about the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter number 5. He'd already been imprisoned by the Sadducees and Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, I should say, for preaching in the name of Jesus. And they kept telling him, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And you know what Peter did? He preached in the name of Jesus. You know, I, I'm okay with obeying the governor's orders, the president's mandate to try to get us through this viral threat. Uh, it is it is perhaps maybe it's possibly the right thing to do, uh, even if it's not. Hey, it is not infringing upon my God-given responsibility to obey God. I'm still able to do the things that I need to do to serve the Lord. I mean, you think about we still have so many liberties in our nation today that uh, it's unprecedented. You take early Christians, you know, for centuries after Jesus resurrected, and, you know, those early Christians would look at our life and listen to us whine and complain, and they think, wow, we wish we had it as good as you had it. You know, early Christians... You say they, they weren't supposed to forsake the assembling of themselves together. Hey, did Christians assemble? Absolutely. But you know what? There was so much persecution going on that it didn't matter to them whether it was the first day of the week or whether it was Wednesday. It didn't matter to them if it was 11 o'clock in the morning or if it was 3 a.m. You know what they did? They did the best that they could with what they had to work with. They would meet in a cave. They would meet in someone's home secretly, privately. They would do the best that they could with what they had to work with. You know what? That's the kind of attitude that we need to have, and we need to get that thankful spirit that we would have if we ever went through any real trial like our uh, our heritage, like our predecessors, the early Christians, ever had to go through. Is it appropriate to disobey authority, well, at times it is. Are we there yet? Hey, the time will likely come when we may have to make a stand like Peter. You know, there are a lot of social um, social things that are going on in our nation. I mean, you take the homosexual agenda that is becoming so uh, normalized and accepted by the majority of the population and there's probably coming a time when someone, either the federal government or a state or local government, that's going to say, hey, if you're a preacher, you can't call that sin. Hey, I hope that time never comes, because uh, by the grace of God, uh, let me say this, I hope and pray that I will always preach the whole counsel of God. And that's really all I need to say about that. The time will likely come, but folks, let me say this. We're not there yet. Not by any stretch of the imagination. We need to grow up and we need to take a look around us and realize that it really isn't that bad yet. We've got a long, long ways to go. Still got so much to be thankful for as far as the freedoms and the liberties that we have in our nation. Number three, and very, very brief with this one, don't focus on your rights. Focus on doing right. 
if we would just have that kind of mentality. You know, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, he said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Hey, what does the Word of God say that we need to do? We need to do what's right. Quit focusing on our rights. Thank God we've got some rights. Thank God we've got a constitution that protects those rights. But you know what? What we need to focus on is just simply doing right. Uh, If all of the bloggers and tweeters and conspiracy theorists out there would spend half as much time in prayer as expressing their disgruntledness, we might have a nationwide revival. You know, that's what God says. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray for all that are in authority. Get on our knees and say, God, help them. God, lead them. God, guide them. And yes, God, save them. Wouldn't it be a blessing to have people in authority that are truly born-again, spirit-filled Christians? What a wonderful transformation this nation would go through if our leaders uh, were being led by the Holy Spirit of God. In conclusion, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I was thinking about this just the other day, and I was kind of meditating uh, in my mind as far as Satan's tactics. And as a pastor, uh, anything that we go through, I'm always trying to look and see, hey, is there something behind the scenes here that we don't want to miss? Because the devil plays with smoke and mirrors. He's a deceiver. And, and you know, any time that something like this coronavirus thing goes on, I'm always looking for the devil to be using it through the back door. I'm hopeful that God will use it. I know one thing, a lot of God's people are not taking church for granted. And I'm hopeful that when all of this clears out, that the church house will be full. And I don't just mean for two weeks, I mean for 20 more years. That, you know, that we would not to ever take that for granted again. Sadly, I know human nature, probably it won't be that way. But I know that there's also ways that the devil's going to try to use it. Have you ever considered Satan's devices and his tactics when he tried to turn Job against God? And by the way, that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to turn Job against God. Here was his, here was his systematic attack. Number one, he attacked his family. Job got news that all of his children had died because of that whirlwind. The houses caved in on him, and so he attacked his family. You know, and you think about the war on terror, terrorism that's been taking place since 9-11. We have been battling um, you know, not an army, but we've been battling an ideal, a religious belief system. And not only the people that lost their lives in 9-11, but countless people who have given their life or their loved one in Iraq and Afghanistan and all different places throughout this nation, not to mention the Christians that have been in the Middle East and some of those terrorists have taken off their heads and so forth. You know, all of this has been an ongoing thing since 9-11. 
but it seems like America as a nation, while some who are touched by that, touched by that terrorism, as a general rule, Americans have just kind of brushed it off. Secondly, Job attacked, uh, excuse me, Satan attacked Job's economy. He, 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 all of his cattle and everything, he killed them all. He went after his family first. Secondly, he went after his economy. You know, we had the quote unquote recession of 2008 and oh, we suffered so much. <laughs> you know, we suffered so much that you could drive by any restaurant on any given evening and you'd find the parking lot full. Uh, anybody who went through a real recession, I guarantee you, our grandparents, when they'd hear us complain about the 2008 recession, uh, they had to to be, maybe they'd be nice to our face, but they'd have to go back in their bedroom and just start laughing to themselves. Because we haven't really had any real hardship, not to speak of. But our economy was attacked, and what did we do as a nation? We just kind of, we just plowed through it. And we just brushed it off. But here we are, and you know the third attack that Satan leveled at Job, he leveled it at his health. And you know, 9-11, the attack on our children, the attack on our economy, all of those things, we just kind of either brushed it off or plowed through it. But here, something comes along that's endangering our health and what happens? The entire world, I mean, falls right into place, pulling out all of the stops in order to protect our health from this unseen virus. It's Satan's strategy. Do I know and understand the details of what's going on behind the scene? No, I do not. But I do know that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, and there is no doubt about it that behind all of this, that Satan is trying to turn us against God. Is God judging us? Is God judging the world? Is God judging our nation? Well, I will say this, he would be justified if he did. I read in Acts chapter 14 and verse number 16, where Paul here is preaching to a bunch of Gentiles, and he says, that God in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. You know, God is a long-suffering God, and boy, He has put up with a lot of things in our nation. He has put up with abortion. He has put up with feminism. He has put up with drunkenness and violence. He has put up with false gods. He has put up with all kinds of things. He's put up with a perverse homosexual agenda with same-sex marriage. Wow, I still can't get over the fact that that has become the norm in our nation today. God has put up with it and put up with it. But in Acts chapter 17, this is a similar type message that Paul's preaching. And in verse number 30, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He momentarily closes one eye and just kind of puts it, puts it out of his sight. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Who has the right to tell me what to do? I'll tell you who does, folks. God does. 
Now He is commanding you, whatever is going on in your life, wherever you are at, if you have never been saved, and you're trusting in your own goodness, your own intellect, your own person for your salvation, God is commanding you to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at, if you are not saved, if you are not right with God, if you've got unconfessed, unrepented sin in your life, if you are trusting anything and any other authority, including yourself, other than God Almighty, God is commanding you to repent. And He's commanding you to do it right here and right now. Who has the right to tell me what to do? Ultimately, God has the right because He and He alone is the supreme authority. Will you bow your heads as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name, thank You for Your goodness and grace. Thank You for Your authority and the authority that You have entrusted to men. Thank You for the authority of the home, the authority of the church, yes, the authority of our government, and we ask Your blessings upon every leader. Lord, a lot of leaders are having to face some very, very difficult decisions Lord, many of these leaders are sincere in their, the care of their people. Others perhaps are not, but God, none of this is of any surprise to you. We just ask now for your grace and for your blessings. And Lord, we ask you now that you'd take and use this situation that we're in, perhaps maybe to turn America's heart back to you. We know that Satan intends it for evil, but God, you can work it around for good, and we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.